Good morning. Great to see you here. We are missing several of ours. We have those out of town. We have those who are um, recovering from um, illness and injury, and we have those who are dealing with loss recently as, as of last evening of a loved one. So keep them in your prayers and reach out to them. And like in every week, we might have people missing that we're not sure why they're missing. So we need to contact and encourage and strengthen and help them out any way we can. It is good to have visitors here. I am going to at least say one thing. Um, Some of them are from Branson. You've seen this pulpit and that communion table before. And your dad has stood behind this pulpit a lot. But anyway... uh, so we are very thankful when we first established the congregation, and hopefully this fall we're going to open this on up into the basement and uh, use it. And our prayer is always that we outgrow this ASAP so that we can then build a auditorium and stuff in the back. So, And I tell you, I know how that growth thing works. It's something about you and I plant water, and God will give the increase, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 3 and verse 6. And... But this, this morning, um, it's kind of interesting coming back oh, from over at camp and working with the kids at a Gateway Area Bible Camp and being over there. It's, it's nice to sleep in a house with air conditioning, uh, that's for sure. But it was hot over there, but everything went well. And we have uh, three new brothers in Christ and one new sister in Christ from camp, some teenagers and um, I can't remember all their age. I know two of them were 17 years old, and I don't know how old they all were. But anyway, it's uh, good to uh, have God's Word fall on open and honest hearts who are glad to receive that, to confess that faith in Him as the Son of God, to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. And we, the church, rejoice. Amen? Amen. Uh, so... I think about this passage that we're going to wrap up Colossians chapter 1. We've been working our way through Colossians, and it takes me a while. Matter of fact, Tammy says, are you going to get through Colossians today? But anyway, Colossians 1. Uh, But you look at this, and it starts interesting in verse 24 when it says, Now I rejoice in my suffering. Uh, I try to endure suffering. I try not to complain in suffering. But rejoicing in suffering, that's a whole new level. And, of course, what you're going to be rejoicing in is you were counted worthy to suffer for which he's suffering. Uh, But I believe, anyway, in this context, the part that jumps off the page at me is the first few words of verse 28 when he says, We proclaim him. We proclaim Him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Son of God. It's all about our Savior. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about this congregation. It's not about that congregation. It's not about your mama. It's not about your kids. It's not about your grandkids. I mean, we might have some of those, and they're special to us and everything, but the real center of it all is Jesus Christ because one of Vernon's favorite passages, John 15, 5, Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. And I'm pretty sure since Jesus said it, that's just the way it is. So we want to look at a few things in these verses. We don't have time to cover it all very thoroughly, but 
I wonder if Paul really knows what he's talking about when he's inspired the Holy Spirit and writes something about suffering. Well, let's just take a look real quick. Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And probably most people in this room know these exact passages. And I'm not going to read the whole context. I'll just read the beginning of this one. And then I'm also going to jump over to the 12th chapter of 2 Corinthians. But 2 Corinthians chapter 11, look at verse 28. And there's quite a list here. Just to mention a few. Five times I received from the Jew 39 lashes. That's serious. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. And that doesn't mean some little stick. Three times I was beaten with rods. It probably more resembles a baseball bat. Uh, once I was stoned, and that usually ended up with dead. Matter of fact, you remember even walking back in the city, and uh, they knew how to stone people. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I spent in the deep. And he goes on and talks about journeys and dangers from river and dangers from robbers and dangers from countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city. A man, everywhere he went, there was danger. Paul could show you his body, and his body alone showed he'd been through the ringer with physical suffering for, for, for proclaiming the gospel. So when he would write, I rejoice in my suffering, what a statement. Jump on to chapter 12, and look just real quick at the first part of verse 15. I will most gladly spend and be expended or spent for your souls. Paul says, a reason I rejoice in my suffering. If me suffering helps bring a soul to Christ, then Paul kind of had this attitude, just bring on the suffering. When he would state after wanting God to remove his thorn in the flesh, and in Kendall's paraphrase, God says, just do it. Because he says, my grace is sufficient, I'm not going to remove it. But then he goes on and says something that we have a hard time wrapping our heads around, and that is, when I'm weakest, I'm strongest. Because face it, at our greatest strength, we're pitifully weak. But when we know we have no chance and we need all the help and we depend upon God and he supplies the strength, that's when you'll be strong. And we could talk about example after example from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We could talk about some of those stories I learned when I was just a child about a group, a big group of people coming out of slavery and they come, uh-oh, we're in trouble now. There's a big sea of water in front of us, we're done. Especially when the army of the nation you just left is coming after you. God divides the water. He can take care of you in a lion's den. He did. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, I always coined them the asbestos brothers. Didn't really have anything to do with asbestos, but they said, if God chooses, he can save us from this fiery furnace. But whether God chooses to save us or not, we're not bound down to you. God doesn't have to take care of us physically for us to depend upon him spiritually. And all spiritual blessings are in Christ. 
but it rains on the just and the ungrateful. So sometimes people that are as wicked as they come flourish in their physical life with great wealth, with great health. But if you don't hear in the end, enter in thou good and faithful servant. Matter of fact, one of the people I like to look at most on that, it's terrible his demise, was this young gospel preacher named Stephen, whose life ends when he's young. In a horrible way, they threw rocks at him till he died for preaching the gospel. And what's happened to him ever since then? went from the pain of stoning to the comfort of Abraham's bosom. To being comforted by, we're 2,000 years about after that, and so, and time's irrelevant on that side, I understand that, but in our perspective, for nearly 2,000 years, you tell me who got the good end of the deal. We don't always fathom that, but he says, I rejoice in my suffering. And you look on at that, I think it's important. He says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church. There's that phrase again. Now, we've talked about that over here in uh, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18, that Jesus, he is the head of the body, the church. We could also go over to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, and we can see that In these two letters, especially in Ephesians and Colossians, he uses the word his body and his church interchangeably. So when you read the one, it's the same as if you read the other. So he said, I even suffer for the church, which is his body. That's how come even on the outside of our building, and I don't know that signs are everything, but this isn't my church. I have people all the time that I'll be in the community doing something, and they'll say, oh, you mean down at your church? Well, we'll talk about taking, you know, personal ownership of something, because Paul does that with the gospel. He talks about my gospel, which really isn't his gospel. He's not the one that came up with it, but it's mine. It's personal. I'm holding on to this. And so in that way, but no, I'm pretty sure I know who paid for it. And I know what he paid for it, and I can't offer what he paid for it. And in Acts 20, verse 28, we see that he paid for it with his own blood. He bought and paid for it. He's bought and paid for it. We've got to remember it's his church. Now, that's important on all kinds of levels. So I'm not suffering for my church. I'm suffering for his body and his church. Well, in his body, did he suffer for me that's part of the church? Oh, we could even jump all the way back in Isaiah and see he received the punishment, the cost, the consequences of my sin in his body, and I received the benefits of his sinless life in my spiritual well-being if I'm in Christ. So there's a lot here. I could have spent the whole time just in verse 24. He said, I've done my share. I think about that. Do you do your share? You know, Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 16, says if a church is going to grow as well as it can, then each individual, you can look it up, each individual has to do their part. 
Now, it doesn't mean it won't grow if you don't do your part, but it won't grow as well as it could if you do do your part. I've got more than one friend of mine who I knew when they were healthy and able to be walking around, running, jumping, everything, and for a long time now, some of them decades, have lived in a wheelchair because of an accident. They are still productive. If you ask them, can you do everything you did before? Well, of course not. And one of my good friends, if I remember right, the settlement he received from uh, that accident on the job, this would have been in the 90s, uh, was $4.2 million. That sounded like a lot of money. $4.2 million. And Don, his name's Don, he said, if I could get my legs back, I'd give him the $4.2 million and every other nickel, dime, and penny I had. Doesn't mean he's still not incredibly productive in teaching God's word and in encouraging the brethren. You know, you just think about that, how important that is. Can they be productive? The church can be productive without you, but it can be more productive with you. You got to do your share. I think about that. We are blessed, so those of you who are visiting know that every Sunday we eat together. There's going to be food here. Now, I'm thankful for all those people that do their part and cook that food because I do my part and eat that food. Everyone's got to do their part. But what if only one person? Well, we're going to have slim pickings today if only one person brings. But we're going to do that. That's one thing that's kind of neat. I always think it's interesting, different words. Potluck is an interesting word. I don't know that I want to have a luck of a pot. But anyway, um, or a fellowship meal, or a cut. I grew up when they were called covered dish dinners, you know, all kinds of things. But you look at that, the idea of us being able to fellowship and us being able to enjoy each other. But the church is, its strength does not come in one. No, there's one body, but many members. So we go on to verse 25. And we and then I'll jump to 26 and 27 pretty quick. But he says, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. This is where you kind of find out minister and preacher can be used interchangeably. I still like the word preacher better, but that's okay. But we look and he said, I was made a minister. I was made a minister. Jump back to um, verse 23, what we looked at last week. If indeed you continue in the faith, firm, established, and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Have you and I, maybe not the same as Paul, but been made a minister of the gospel? Do we have the responsibility of proclaiming the gospel? Does that great commission of going into all the world and preaching the gospel to all creation apply to me? Does it apply to me that I'm supposed to, as Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew 5, that I'm to let my light so shine before men that they may see my good works and glorify the Father who's in heaven? So we look and he says, I'm telling you what, it's about preaching. I think about that a lot. Sometimes get to discussing things with people and you look at things and you 
start thinking, why are we here? Why doesn't God just say, endless time for me, thank you, boom. I'm cool if he decides that. Yeehaw, I'm out of here. But why am I here? There has to be a reason, a God-given reason why I'm here. You know, it's not to go on the next hunting trip. I will go on the next hunting trip. But that's not the reason. It isn't even to find out how much of the good food that's brought today I can eat. It isn't even to sleep in air conditioning. But why am I here? Well, Jesus came here for the purpose of seeking the saving the lost. Did he work miracles? Yeah, that's not the reason he came. Or at least why he worked miracles had to get back to seeking and saving the lost. You know, when you look at that, the reason the church exists isn't to just conduct worship services. Don't think, I don't understand the importance, the benefit, the magnitude of assembling together on the first day of every week. Anyone who knows me knows that's a big deal personally even to me, besides being biblically. But if we're not going out there and we're not proclaiming the gospel, we're not preaching the gospel, if we're not talking to our friends and our family and our neighbors and people at the store and people here and people there, kind of, how are they going to find out about it? So he says, I was made a minister. We could go to several other passages. And as a matter of fact, over in uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, he said, I'm obligated to preach it. I'm obligated to preach the gospel. I'm obligated to speak up. I'm obligated to say something. I'm obligated to talk to them about the great opportunity to receive the forgiveness of sin through hearing the gospel, believing the gospel, confessing Jesus, repenting, and being buried in a watery grave for the forgiveness of their sins. I'm obligated to do that. I'm also obligated to tell them that that's a baby in that womb and you commit murder when you do what you call abortion. I'm obligated to tell them no rainbow was God-given and it has nothing to do with homosexuality except that judgment will come on the world again because of sins like that but it won't be destroyed with water next time. Matter of fact, we get to Peter's writing, we know what's going to happen next time. It's going to be burned up with intensity. It's going to be destroyed. It's going to be eliminated. And as I've told you before, your insurance company's not going to pay off because of fire damage because they're not going to exist anymore either. So we have to remember who he is and we have to proclaim those messages. You look on... Um, he says, I fully preach the word of God. Preach the word of God. Preach. You know, I've I've been for where I've visited places. Maybe it's on the road or something. I walk in there and I and I go in and we go on into worship God and I want to hear somebody preach. I still remember one sermon I heard one time in visiting the place and he mentioned one verse at the beginning of the sermon. One verse. And then I paid pretty close attention he never read it. He never even, he just mentioned the verse, and I don't even know what, I did know what the verse said. But if I didn't, I wouldn't have known by what he said because he never said what the verse said. The rest of it, he was a superb storyteller. I mean, he was an excellent public speaker. But he was a poor excuse for the preacher of the gospel 
You know, you even think about passages like uh, 2 Timothy 4. We're to preach the word there in verse 2. Preach the what? Preach the word. We're to be ready in season and out of season. We're rebuke. You know, we're to exhort. We're to do all those things with long suffering, with patience. But we're to preach the word. Anyone that knows me knows one of my statements I make a lot is, I just need the book, the chapter, and the verse. Just show me. I wasn't even born in Missouri, and I can say, show me. And so we look at that. That's a very biblical concept. And even once someone obeys the gospel, Matthew 28, once they are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then what do we do? We teach, we teach them to observe all that I command you. So when do we get to stop teaching? We've got to teach them. I don't know who in here has been a member of the church the longest. I know a lot of us, it isn't figured out in years anymore. It's decades. Some of us got decades in the church. Do we still need to learn? Do we still need to be taught? Do we still need to teach others? Amen. So we got to teach all that I command you. You know, there are some subjects that when you're a preacher, when you're a full-time preacher, you know this could cause me pain. There are some subjects that preachers, by and large, you preach on that, that could very well be a moving sermon. And they don't mean move people into action either. Well, I still remember the old preacher when I was a very young preacher. That's been a while ago, huh? But I was a very young preacher, and he just asked us, if you preach the truth, are you fulfilling your responsibility? And I knew him well enough, no, I don't answer that question. He's setting us up. He says, it isn't enough just to teach the truth. You've got to teach the truth that is needed at that moment. Because you can teach, you know nothing I've heard all my life? Do you know that part of the truth is not the truth by itself? you got to hear the whole truth. I've heard that little statement before. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. So you think about those things. We've got to proclaim that message. We've got to get it out of there. We've got to make sure, and and I want you to see this one. So uh, it's a point I made earlier, but turn with me over to Romans chapter 16. Romans 16, as he's wrapping up the letter to Romans, seems like we'll be... We'll be to this verse in our Wednesday night class in about 2027. But anyway, uh, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. Oh, here's old Paul. He, he doesn't mean that. He doesn't mean that. He means it's the gospel I taught you, which I got from Christ. When Paul says, follow me, what's he also say? As I follow Christ. Well, I, I've taken, this is mine, this is personally mine. I, I'm not the one who came up with it. You know, sometimes people say, well, Kendall, you said this. Yes, I did say that, but I'm not the one who came up with that thing. Matter of fact, it says it over here. All I'm doing is telling you what the passage says. I'm just repeating it. Jesus did that. Did Jesus not quote a lot of Old Testament? Did the apostles and preachers of the New Testament not quote a lot of Old Testament, which was a written scripture they had at hand that day? I'm pretty sure if they do it, that might be a good idea for us to do. So we have to remember to preach the word. We have to remember as Romans 1 and verse 16 that the gospel is the power of God and salvation. It's not a meal. It's not a free giveaway. 
There are people who try all kinds of schemes, don't they? I've told you before, it'd be easy to blow it out where we couldn't even build a building big enough on this piece of property to hold the people if once a month all we did was make sure that we advertised to everyone in the world on the last Sunday of each month to those who are present, we're going to give away to someone who is present two free round-trip tickets, all expenses paid, to Hawaii. They'd be packed in here like sardines. You know why? Because they're worldly. They're not using some man-made scheme to get people here. I'll tell you what it is. The gospel. That's why we, if we hide it behind anything else, we've either added to it or we've taken away or we've been a disgrace. And so we've got to make sure that message, is it wrong to help people hungry? Well, of course not. Is it wrong to have concern for people with a sick? Well, of course not. What good does it do if people get well physically but stay diseased spiritually? Might be physical advantages, but in the long run, it did them no good. So the spiritual welfare of people, so that's why the preaching of the gospel is so important. I think it's interesting in verse 26 and 27, it talks about it was a mystery. It's not a mystery anymore. You ever read, I'm not much into reading these kind of books, but you ever read a book that's a mystery? You know, what I always do, when I was in high school and they gave us books to read that we had to read, I read the last chapter first every time. I kind of like to know where we're going before we start the trip. Now, it kind of takes the mystery out of the thing, doesn't it? Well, you know, I don't have to start at the beginning and wonder where, I got that whole story now. It's been fully proclaimed. It's been fully written down for us. This faith which has been once for all given, Jude 3. We have the complete message of the word of God. Oh, let's see. I don't have time. Or So here's your bedtime story for tonight. Get Ephesians 3 and just read the first 12 verses there about this mystery being made known to us. It's clear. It's plain now. It's no longer a mystery. What a great chapter, and those 12 verses are for that very point. And then you go on to verse 28. He says, we proclaim him, admonish every man and teach every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete, some translations might read perfect, in Christ. Oh, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God. It is. And what is the final outcome of, to make every man complete? You want to be a complete, listen now, you want to be a complete, well-pleasing man or woman of God? Get in the book. Get in the book. Study the book. God, and this is God breathed. This isn't my message. Let me tell you what, Colossians isn't even from Paul. It's from God through Paul. That's a big, just like when I preach this. This is not Paul's words through me. This is the Holy Spirit's words through me, through something that Paul recorded to the church in Colossae. We've got to remember the source. It's kind of like these lights up here. If I take that light out of there, it's an LED, so it wouldn't be too hot. But I take that light out of there, and I set this light bulb here. How bright is that light bulb sitting over here? The light's the whole thing, right? No. 
I can put another light bulb in there and it'll shine, right? Well, what if I just take and I rip that old can out of there and I unhook the wires and just leave the wires hanging there and I screw the light bulb back in the can there? It still don't work. What happens if we plug it all back together but a storm blows through and a transformer out here on the pole <laughs> short circuits and we don't have electricity to it? Now how well does the light work? Is the light the problem or the socket the problem or the wire the problem? No, you got to cut off from the source. It could be the bulbs the problem, right? If we don't know. It could be all, but I'm telling you what, if you don't get back to the source, none of it will work. That's why we've got to remember, this is God's word. This is not a book of fairy tales and ideas. So we want every man to be complete. In Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 16, it talks about how we're going to have unity. We're going to be unified. When I think about that, I also think about 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. There's to be no division among you. And I think about how big is the word of God and how important it is. Like in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, it talks about the enduring word of God. And then I believe it's when you get to verse 25, it says, The word of God abides forever. Are we still somewhere in the middle of forever? Oh, well, that was written nearly 2,000 years ago. That's old. It is old. It's ancient. But you know how good it's good for? Forever. How old is gravity? How you like it? We've said sometimes not so much when you step on a scale. But since you don't float off in space, but it's somewhere around 6,000 years old at creation. Well, just because it's old, does that mean it isn't good anymore? Oxygen's old too. What do you think it? Like someone, when we were going through the whole COVID thing, and I, someone was talking about when you wear a mask, it really doesn't protect you. It's mainly going to keep spittle off somebody else to protect them. And I told him, man, I can give you a mask that I guarantee you, you will not get COVID, and COVID will not kill you. Yeah? You got me get a plastic bag tied around your neck real tight, and I guarantee you, you will not get COVID, and COVID will not kill you. Now, you won't live very long, but at least COVID won't be the problem. So sometimes our remedies are worse than the problem in the first place, aren't they? That's not so with the gospel. Man tries to fix the sin problem on their own. That's what false religion does. There's only one remedy. There's only one cure. It's the blood of Christ. So as we continue on, i got to hurry up because I'm running over. Uh, he talks about laboring and striving, and he says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, I am what I am by the grace of God. I'm thankful for the abilities God gives me, but I want to give him all the glory. We want to give him all the glory in everything. We want to see he gets that. And then I like the point when he says, which mightily works within us. Oh, just a few passages you know so well. Most of, many of us memorized when we were kids, like Philippians 4.13. I know Pat just can't stand this verse, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then like Romans 8, and verse, if God is for us, well, isn't it no one can be against you, but it won't make any difference. Because if God's with you, you win. And Jesus says at this point, just in closing here in rapid fashion, in John 14 and verse 6, Jesus says, I want you to know. He doesn't say, I want you to know, but he does want you to know. I am the way, 
be true and be right. And no one has taught him about it. We've got to get that message out to the world that doesn't understand that. And it's simple. It's right in here. He wrote it so we can read it. I still think it's amazing. In the United States of America, Bibles are so readily available. I've got a little New Testament. My old one that I always used in the tree stands, I always called it my tree stand Bible. It finally is coming all apart, so it's got retired. It's sitting off the side table. If I open it up outside the window, there's always pages on it. So I got another Bible, another little New Testament outside. Well, it fell out of my pocket at camp. And so I got a text yesterday evening. Hey, Kendall, I think I found your Bible, and they took a picture of it. I said, well, I got that Bible out of a box of used books, and I think the whole box, I think they gave me the box to put a garage sale, and they want you to take that box and see that Bible in there. So I dropped there. I said, if someone is wanting to use it, you go ahead and let them have it. I can find another Bible in there. I think I got one or two more somewhere. But, no, you look at that. Boy, do we cherish the Word of God, though? Oh, I cherish the Word of God. I cherish the Word of God. You know, Bibles are important enough to me. I'll just tell you something real quick. And it isn't just this leather and this ink on the page. But when my dad passed away, I told everyone, the, I don't care about anything else. I just want his Bible. So I got his Bible. And you know when I preach a sermon, you know whose Bible I preached out of? His Bible. And when my mom passed away, before my mom passed away, I said, Mom, I want your Bible. And so I told all my siblings that. Mom made sure they knew that. And when I opened up her Bible, guess what I had in the front of it? The sermon and the verses she wanted preached to hers. So she preached her own funeral through me. I just used her passage, and it was way harder hitting than I ever was. When you got down to the one part, I had to swallow. It was hard to stay emotionally driven, but when you've got family members no longer faithful, her words was, you know, I didn't mention my name. They knew who they were, but here's mom's words to you. You broke That won't move you and your her kids or her grandkids. I probably can't say anything to them. So you think about how important it is, God's word. That's how he ends Colossians 1. There's nothing you can take greater into the world than the message of the saving blood of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you need to respond to the gospel and put on Christ in baptism, we want to sing this song and encourage you to do so. If you're a Christian... And you need the prayers of the church to be stronger. If you've sinned and you need to confess that and repent, if we can help you in any way with your relationship with God this day, please come as we stand and sing.